Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. All right, Inspiring People Places, we're back with a dual interview today. I'm excited to introduce and, and meet and learn from our next guests. Before I do, I think I should point out that MCFA has a core value of fun, and this, what seems to be very dynamic duo, brings fun to our industry. Peter and Sharon Exley, delighted to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. And for our audience, the, the name of their firm is Architecture is Fun, or at least that's the name of their website. So Peter and Sharon, we start every episode kind of getting to hear your story. And that story should be both your business story and kind of your career path. And, and how did you end up launching this, this firm together? Who wants to go first? Peter. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> So, how did Architecture is Fun start? Architecture is Fun is about 30 years old. And uh, it began because, well, Sharon and I had some really, really great formative jobs. I worked with Skidmore, Owings and Merrill in Chicago and London, and with Robert Venturi and Denise Scott Brown in Philadelphia. And as, as design firms go, pretty hard acts to follow. So in around 1994, we found ourselves with an opportunity to, to start our own practice. There were some interim jobs that took us to that point. And we, we started our, our work or our portfolio with a commission from Chicago Children's Museum. We'd never intended to work in children's environments. It was not part of the business plan, but it was a really, really amazing first first project to, to get. The name came about because Sharon and I were writing a grant proposal that I think ultimately was unsuccessful, but it, it was an opportunity to go and be scholars in Rome at the American School in Rome. We, we didn't get it. No hard feelings, American School in Rome. <laughs> but How do you like me now is what you're supposed to say. <laughs> I'm sure they made an excellent decision. So the proposal that we put in was a portfolio of work and we'd already gotten underway with a very pedantically named Peter J. Exley Architect, um, which was what it said on our Illinois state license. And uh, th this portfolio that, was, that we were assembling had work with children in it, so we made it as a children's book. So it was Peter and Sharon like to make models. We like to do drawings, you know, sort of very simple early reader. And the very last page was um, architecture is fun. And Sharon said. That's a better um, name, more equitable name for our practice. And, and that's our purpose and our mantra and making everyday life fun through architecture and experience seems perfect for what we do. So did you, 
I love that story. I wish we had the book. Do we do we have a picture of a, on your website maybe? The original book, I, I'm sure it exists in the archives somewhere. Yeah, Let's try to grab a picture of that for the show notes. But I find that when we get into the corporate world, a lot of stuffy suit people start to take the fun out of it because they take themselves too seriously. They take the work too seriously. And sometimes our, our industry can be contentious. Was it intentional to bring that spirit to the work? Or had you already been bringing the spirit of fun to the work? If, if we dig a little deeper in, I guess, the double entendre that architecture is fun is. Um, <laughs> I mean, architecture is fun. We, we really like it. it. It seemed like a little bit of a mischievous name, certainly in 1994, because most firms were named after people or the initials of a collection of people. So it was a differentiator. What, what, what we saw very early on was that our work and our process was appealing to community-based not-for-profits and civic organizations. Uh, and this is not to say that clients of, of design projects are ever irresponsible or have bottomless um, pits of resource, but our clients in particular, being community-based, were, were not habitually investing in capital projects. Mm -hmm. They do one children's museum over the lifetime of the, you know, the, the of the organization. Yeah, yeah. So they're making a massive, massive investment for themselves, and we were very, very committed right from the get-go in a participatory process. We wanted to hear what their mission was, what their values were, and what they wanted. And who they were, and, who the community was. Yeah. And so it was about engagement and it was about listening. And so it, Architecture is Fun sort of ended up in a contractual arrangement with our clients. Look, you've come to us, you've made a serious decision. Um, we want you to profit from that decision. We want you to enjoy yourselves in it. So that, as Sharon said, became our mantra with them and our agreement with them. So it, it, it's nice to explain it that way. No, it's not, it is a frivolous name, but it's not a fri frivolous endeavor here. I, I agree. I think, you know, when you, when you go to market with your mission or your mantra or your core values, when you publicly state something like that, you are creating accountability because you're saying to the buyer, if you're not having fun, if this, if this becomes a less passionate pursuit for you, then we're not living up to our end of the bargain. And I, yeah. I think that's a bold commitment. And when you're dealing with capital projects that inevitably have a lot of personalities and a lot of problems and a lot of opportunities to work through and, and facilitate stake, it also gives you something to refer back to that says, Hey, we're trying to have fun here. Let's, let's keep that, keep that in mind. I, I, I really enjoy that. What, how did you get started? So we, we heard how um, the company got started. How did you both get started in the industry? Types of projects, entry-level roles. I, I know, Peter, I, I, your University of Pennsylvania master's degree stood out to me because it's just across the river here in Philadelphia. Yeah. Talk to us about your, your career path before 
So I, I went to school in, in Pennsylvania at, at Penn. As you say, I'd done my undergraduate at Newcastle University in the north of England. I'm from the great county of Yorkshire originally. And we do a year out, you know, essentially a placement. And I ended up through all kinds of fortuitous um, situations in Chicago. Uh, Labor Day 1985. And I was supposed to be there for a year. I immediately realized, oh, this is a special place to be a designer and to be an architect. And so I stayed nearly 40 years. So I, I worked at Skidmore Angs and Merrill, which was a baptism by fire, a really intense place, um, working on the world's greatest projects with some of the smartest people I've ever come across. And it, it was um, a nine to nine, seven day a week experience. It, there wasn't much in the way of work-life balance there, but it was really <laughs> a, a brilliant apprenticeship. And lo and behold, who should be working there? Yeah. So Sharon and I met there. And uh, so there's a little bit of history there. We, we had a, a, uh, um, and at work, well, dating at work, which was okay in a 600-person office, I think that was an invisible fact. But the, the reality <laughs> is we were there so much. Um, that was your work-life balance. Life. Yeah, that was it. That was it. And then I went to grad school, and I in, in Philadelphia, I worked with Robert Venturi and Denise Scott Brown. So if there was a notch up from Skidmore, that was it. And they were working on amazing projects with clients like the National Gallery in London, uh, Walt Disney Companies, and just a multitude of civic and institutional projects, mostly in the United States, but around the world. And, you know, they're, they're my icons, they're my heroes. S Steve Eisenhower in their office, one of the co-authors of Learning from Las Vegas with Bob and Denise, became an amazing mentor to me. And as I said before, it was, that was a hard act to follow. And Architecture is Fun followed that. Um, one of the things that I did learn at Venturi Scott Brown and Associates was that work-life balance. When we were in the office, and we were often in the office at weekends, but Bob and Denise and the entire leadership team were there too. They knew your kids' names. And by that time, Sharon and I had a small person following us around. And when they wanted to go home, everybody else went home. And we, we valued that, the, the balance that they brought. And mm -hmm. um, it was something that we wanted to try and emulate for ourselves also. And I, I think to some degree, whilst we work crazy hard, and I'm sure it has its moments of not work-life balance, um, it, having architecture is from... Uh, as our purpose, as, as I think here and there allowed us to have the life and the freedoms that we wanted in, in our profession. I, Sharon might have a different perspective on that sometimes, <laughs> but I think we agree on it. Sharon, anything from your career path that you, I'll, you I'll do it a lot we... quicker. I, I, I have two degrees from the art, School of the Art Institute in Chicago. So I have sort of the design and I have a master's in education and mm. arts education. 
as we started to work with clients and communities, the education part became so integral to, to what we were doing and being able to speak to the educators and create uh, many times third spacers. So the spaces that uh, allow learning and play to go on. So Peter used to have this thing where you said you were an architect and it was like permanence and I should be a teacher, but I'm not. But that's where the aha moments are. So the experience and the architecture and somewhere in the middle is what architecture is fun is. It's where the, the good ideas bubble up that solve problems for communities and and for, yeah, for communities and areas that really require something that's a catalyst for something going mm-hmm. on in their communities. And we've seen that time and again. All of our projects, I'm, I'm very proud to say all of our projects have been built. There are many people that have started projects like the ones that we do that don't happen. All of ours have happened. One of them took six years, <laughs> but it, it happened. And, uh, you know, we're very proud of that. And they, they are game changers in their communities. That's great. How many employees do you guys have? Depends. Depends on projects. We, we use a lot of remote and okay. uh, continual staff right now because we're in sort of two, two cities. So we're not maintaining in-house staff but we we have a pool of people that we partners that we've always worked with that come on board for certain projects some projects might be more graphic interiors exhibit heavy and so certain team comes in sometimes it might be more about architecture and another team will come in that's great so so you act as the joint principals on projects and then build the team around the need of the program yeah I love Small I love that I love that business model. <laughs> and and for for the audience that might be sole proprietorship or or contemplating their own sole proprietorship I love that because typically when somebody has found what they love and they feel like they can do it better without too much management and oversight banging them on the head telling them what they have to do they get a better life out of it you get a better product out of it and you bringing them work and a client and and doing the account interface and the scoping and defining and all of that seems synergistic is that is that how it works for you kind of sort of i mean i <laughs> you know, I, I, our reputation over this time and and the ref, references and referrals that we get sort of dictates that people expect to see Peter and Sharon. Yeah. And they understand the balance that, that that brings and the expertise that that brings. And and that's mostly what they're interested in. Uh, and as Sharon says, you know, there's, there's extraordinary diversity in our portfolio, whether it's a lighthouse in Florida or a children's museum in Saginaw, Michigan, you know, a, an art installation in an office in Chicago. Um, they've all come to us for a specific alignment between their mission and their purpose and our ability to understand and, and execute something unique and, and novel for, for them. Um, I think if we were to analyze how it works, Sharon is frequently the person that generates a narrative idea. And that comes 
you know, from what a client may think of as a throwaway statement or a persistent point of discussion in our conversations. And then very quickly, we'll, we'll make a sketch of that. A, a good example would be the DePage Children's Museum in Naperville, just outside of Chicago, where the client said to us, I want this place to be really welcoming. Sort of an obvious thing for a museum to say, but obviously something that was really, really important to the client and, and to that leader. And that precipitated a conversation about what, what does welcome mean? And I drew a, um, it was an existing building. I, I drew a really big door mm. on that building. And the client just reflexively said, how big is that door? And I said, even more reflexively, it's 32 feet tall. <laughs> and the door that is built today on that and has been there for a quarter century is, is 32 feet tall. <laughs> and they open um, doors to learning is, is the narrative that, that goes along with that. Yeah. So it, It's a big red door. And every door in that museum that invites somebody to go through it, every door that is not locked is red in that museum. And it's just part of you know, the exploration that is critical to, to their mission. And if there's a red door, you're welcome to open it in that museum. Is I, I don't know this. Is red representative of their brand or does red represent something in, in kind of a, you know, certain colors mean certain things? Uh, the, red is a welcoming color in certain cultures, but... The, Unless the it's on your balance door, sheet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the big red door became their brand. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Became the so logo, cool. became the brand. The phrase opening doors for learning was on all their grants. Um, so telling those stories uh, along with the imagery that is created is, is really what helps create their brand that's aligned with their mission, their purpose, their community goals. Well, and I think, you know, in the, in the spirit of fun, that's, that's really what is fun about architecture is it is bringing missions, it's bringing ideas, it's bringing concepts, it's bringing purpose to life in the physical realm. And I think that's, I think that's why we all love our industry is, you know, there's fulfillment that comes from seeing your work actually, you know, get manifested physically in the, in the world. And then when you can really feel like it's aligned with a purpose and a mission and somebody else's vision, that's just words, but now it's physically represented it. That's, that's the power of, you know, yeah. buildings being stories. Yeah. Yep. And so I, I, I could probably do a highlight reel of all of your work and, and putting together kind of the, the montage of the stories and the missions and the buildings and how that, how that plays out in the physical world. That's, I, I can just see that very, very our, cool. Our, our, our newest book sort of tells the story of each project through one particular problem that was solved or what was the essence of what we were trying to achieve. And, and I think that's true, but in general, we, we love working with kids and families and communities and, I remember Peter we we there was an 
might have been from Harvard Business School or something. There was an, an article about how the years and years ago, the iPhone was awesome, had awesomeness. And I always thought if we could get kids to feel like architecture has awesomeness, that it's mm. awesome and that they should expect this in their lives. They should expect environments that are not drab that are not dull, that are not suited to them, but they should expect environments that support where they want to learn and play, we'd all be better for it. And that's what we try and I think that's what we try and do. Try well, and do great. awesome and, architecture. And and one of the other things I think that does when you allow children to see that it can be cool, you start to plant the seeds of our future architects coming into the industry. And, and seeing that yep. creating buildings and designing buildings and, and, and bringing these things to life is, is cool business. It's cool work. So I applaud you for all of, all of what you're doing. I think, it's, I think it's phenomenal. You do a lot of thought leadership talking. What are some of the topics that we talk about? I think, Sharon, you might have had something today that, that you and Peter were discussing <laughs> right before I jumped on. So what type of speaking engagements are you out there talking about? Uh, I, I just gave a, a talk today. I don't think, Sharon, you even know about this, but <laughs> I, I talked to uh, an, an energy transition group here at Robert Gordon University in, in Aberdeen about the role of uh, the built environment in energy transition. And so I suppose putting that hat on, talking about uh, emphasizing action on climate crisis is something that I like to talk about. In the realm of our practice, I don't think that we started explicitly realizing that what we were doing was working on creating inclusion and equity in our projects, but providing access to learning experiences in these community-based and, and, and civic places that we were working on was providing an alternate to learning experiences that not every kid, maybe even most kids don't get mm -hmm. in the traditional curriculum uh, as it's delivered in, in schools. Most of us turn out, the majority of us turn out to be very productive adults in our lives. We, we find our place and purpose, but we don't always perform so well in academic situations in our elementary and primary uh, and secondary uh, experiences. So I, I think one of the things about our work um, is that we do provide something for everybody and we're really careful and I think very skillful and experienced in providing that. So I, I see all of our projects as, as places that provide equity. And so that, that's another theme, I think, when we try to talk about what we do. Very cool. I think talk, talking is also, I, I'm not that fond of paying it forward expression because I'm not obligated, we're not obligated to do that. We do it because it's critical to have women in the workplace and, and you know, have more diversity and equity within design fields. And so I mentor a lot of young professionals. And I, I think it's important, those, those talks that I have with them about finding places 
to work, you know, that have finding a place to work where the values that you have are shared. So, you know, if they can't come to work for me, where else can they find somewhere where they will be valued and where they will learn and grow and develop and be more of value. So valued and of value. And I think it's important to, to help people achieve that and to help uh, young women and, and young professionals make sure that they're on the right paths. Great. Where they see people that look like them. Where they see yeah. people and, that look like them. Yeah. And, and a place where they see themselves in, well, now in this moment and in weeks and months and years to come. Sharon, you, you touched on mentorship. So you, you both co-lead projects, you co-lead your practice, you co-lead stakeholders towards project outcomes and, and successful project outcomes. What are some leadership lessons that you have found apply that have, have given you the ability to be successful in your career path? I think you have to be, especially, I'd just say as, as it's different for Peter, but a woman in the design professions has to be tough and persistent and find people that will help you along the way. And don't be afraid to ask for that help. That We all need assistance and we need assistance in project. We need teams to come together to collaborate. We need everyone to have that trust and that engagement. And so that that's really important. And I, I think that's what I try and tell them is don't be afraid to ask, you know, for help, for understanding something better, ask, or, you know, I've had, I've had two or three men, mentees ask me, I think I should be paid more. And I said, well, have you gone in and asked for a <laughs> review? So I'm understanding and learning how how to be valued and of value peter yeah in, in my current role which we haven't talked about yet i'm the dean of the scott sutherland school of architecture and built environment at uh, robert gordon university in aberdeen scotland i uh, believe that i am leading with creativity and with vision and with generosity I also need to be vigilant about the, the situations that we find ourselves in. I similarly want my students and my staff and all of my colleagues to be the most creative, the most visionary, and the most generous community on our campus and in the projects that, uh, that, that we work on. I, I say to them that initially that sounds like bravado, but if you are dealing with issues of climate crisis and equity and you are building communities that are going to be resilient, if you're figuring those out, uh, imagining them and then executing them, you, you have no choice but to be the most creative, visionary and generous community. So I, I, I think at the moment that is very much the sort of credo behind my leadership style. I think typically I'm seen as somebody who is visionary and outward facing. Um, I, I love that you have those core values kind of, you know, quick off of your tongue. So it's obvious you, you use them often. Can you put a little more context to generosity for me? 
I, not, not everybody chooses to put in the effort that we put in to our projects. And, and actually, some clients don't expect that or don't want to invest in, in that. But it, it's, it's really, really critical to make places and spaces that differentiate themselves from the norm. So it requires us to have original, relevant, contextual ideas and contextual responses to, to our clients. And that takes effort. So I, I think that generosity revolves around um, an individual response to every challenge, to every constraint. And I, I, I think, I, I don't know that we've ever said this before, Sharon, but I do think that that typifies our approach and that, that we are generous in not providing cookie cutter solutions, not going to a standard playbook, but really looking for the unique nature um, and, and build, helping a client build a relationship with a place that reflects their. As you're talking through that, and, and really it, it started bubbling up early in the conversation from at least in the back of my head. So I'm, I'm curious of your practitioner hat and your academia hat when it comes to society's appreciation for the built environment. Churches and cathedrals had so much heart and soul invested in them for so long civic spaces and transportation centers, so much investment of people's time and and they were art forms. And I don't know, you know, this is BJ's words, instant gratification nation of we need it yesterday, you know, it needs to be super efficient. How do we how do we better blend and and it sounds like you're working with the clients that that either are convinced of and they're reaching out to you because they are convinced of that investment or through working with you become more committed to that level of investment of putting the time and money and resources into getting things that will last generations, not just got done fast enough. So I said a lot, Peter, Sharon, your reactions to you know, my perception that, that we've gotten away from that level of appreciation. We, we don't have impatient clients. They just won't gravitate to us because we, we can't deliver things tomorrow. That's not to say there aren't moments of impatience <laughs> and that there aren't schedules to our projects and budgets. Of course there are. Um, but the, they're, they're just part of the, the constraints. You know, people are coming to us because they recognize the importance of that public space and of creating a venue that supports their missions of learning, of commerce, of, um, of living, of play, of, of, of learning, especially. I, I think there's some aspect of, of play and learning in every project. Uh, is that a good response, Sharon? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, our work on libraries, libraries are, are really cultural hubs for communities now. We see that. And we're sort of specialists in the children and teen libraries. So we often work on 
larger team projects as well and and have that portion but that's really the portion that anchors i think the the facility in in its own community i would say the the children in the teen spaces really do that and um i i kind of see libraries as a really big cultural community center right now very helpful and warm and welcoming and accessible for people um and that's a good response when you know when you think about our capacity to be able to do things quickly. So our business model in that case usually places us as a, a team member and consultant to a larger entity so we can deliver that qualitative component. Special amongst <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good way of putting it. That's great. Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE-verified, service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. Well, because you brought up libraries, we're going to switch gears to some rapid-fire questions, starting with... Any most gifted or most recommended books outside of your own? I will, I will make sure we, we put your books in the show notes. But any, any books that have either you know, changed your life or, or that you think you know, you're constantly referring to? I refer often to an article that Denise Scott Brown wrote in Architecture Magazine, I think in 1967, called The Powder Room. And uh, it, it was an observation that most architects of that era were men, but they designed 50% of all of the, the bathrooms without having any experience of ever going in one of them. <laughs> and they were getting it all wrong. And it's an essay on, uh, on inclusion and equity. and uh, Parody. It's what? about, yeah, bathroom yeah. parody. It's a so that appears in a book called um, "Having Words" by Denise Scott Brown, and uh, so that that's those those are some very influential words to me. Having words, we, I just love the title of that. Go ahead, Sharon. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, we read well, we read whatever Adam Grant writes. You pen, though you pen. So the givers and takers. You know, Peter is a a, a giver. And I'm not a taker. I'm the person that makes sure that Peter is paying attention to or getting credit for what he's doing in between. But he's he's a giver. That's the generosity. He gives a lot of his time. He, you didn't speak, Peter, about the generosity, about the third, third, third that you always usually say, which was a third service, a third teaching, and a third practice. And that that was Peter's thing for for quite a while. So a I third think the, teaching, a third giving, and a third practice. Yeah, the giving was service and and giving, and I, I I think in a way that's just what we do. That's the mentorship, the teaching, the you know that that's the generosity is making sure that what we're doing in practice is something that other people can learn from, whether they work for us or not, whether it's right. the community or the visitor or 
people that we share the experiences with so that those lessons are learned um, and shared. Back to the book thing. <laughs> if you were a good boy and girl in our practice, we, we had uh, up to six people in, in the firm at any one time. But one, one of the rites of passage was getting your business card, and I'm still a big fan of business cards. I know they're rather an obsolete notion these days. But on the back of your business card, you got a quote from your favorite childhood book. And we, we made everybody do that. I say we made, I, we forced them to do that. But everybody's <laughs> got a favorite childhood book. And we saw that as a way of starting conversations right. with librarians, with you know, educators. And it's a great place to start because everybody can relate to that moment in, in the book that you had. So that would take me to Richard Scarry's Busy, Busy World, which was, was the quote I have still on my business card from Lowly Worm. It, it, it's fun to be. Sharon has a quote from Tinkerbell from Peter Pan, Jay and Barry on the back of hers. About trust. Trust what is pixie dust. It's about trust. It, when I say that our process builds trust, so collaborating and, and participating in the process helps build trust with our clients. And so my business card is about trust and a little bit of pixie dust. So there's a little bit of magic that goes with the architecture and a lot of trust in that you, you're hiring us, you're trusting us with this once-in-a-lifetime project for your community or whatever it is, and, and that's, that's really important. You know, there's a huge responsibility when designing for kids and families, and um, it's not just a box of crayons or a, a simple, colorful response. It, it's, it's pretty serious stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I love that practice on your business cards, and, and I think it's also a way to be intentional with both your employees and your clients about the the core value of fun, right? It, it does, it, it breaks the ice, but it breaks the ice in such a innocent way to get a conversation going. There's, there's a lot of nuance to that, that practice. I might steal it. I'll give you credit. <laughs> We're good sharers at that we we can give that to we'll you. Generously it's give that. Yeah. All right. It's not stealing when you're such a generous, generous person. I want to I want to hit the one third teaching, giving, and and practicing. Is is that how you split out your time from a you know business standpoint versus the deanship, or how do you how do you juggle all of that, Peter? Well, Sharon will take issue with my arithmetic on the. Third, <laughs> third. She's the bookkeeper. That's there there's Roy Disney apparently. Yeah. But you know for for most of our practice uh, for all of our practice I I've taught. I've just you know been been driven to do that. I believe that I'm a very capable teacher um in in the classroom. So there's that's always been part of our practice model. And then in respect to the service and leadership, that really came to the forefront in the past decade. Uh, we've always been volunteers, whether you know, that's been soccer coaching or going into to classrooms and, and talking about what we do or you know, even doing bulletin boards in our local school or you know, 
running a program. So, but over the last 10 years, I became very heavily involved with the American Institute of Architects. So I think probably as many people know, the world's largest organization dedicated to design. And that began when I was, I'll just say, tricked onto being the board of AIA Chicago. <laughs> and, and that turned very quickly into me being president of AIA Chicago's board of directors. And it was a very positive experience that started to give me some national uh, exposure and experience in the volunteering realm. And to cut a long story short, in 2021, I found myself the president of the AIA uh, based in D.C., although I think if you recall in 2020 and 2021, none of us were in D.C. We were working from our living rooms, so I didn't have the burden of of, of travel and, uh, during my year. And it was an amazing year where I got a lot of access, uh, did a lot of advocacy on behalf of America's architects and did that around the world. And, and part of the culmination of that was uh, leading a delegation, uh, an accredited delegation to COP26 in Glasgow, um, where we as America's architects really were talking about catalyzing equity and emphasizing action on climate crisis, which was at the heart of AIA's strategic plan. And that was an incredible opportunity for me. The AIA journey has been a great journey of of growth for me and leadership. Yeah, it sounds like a very rich volunteer experience. And... And it's gone hand in hand with the practice. I, yeah. You know, it's all inseparable. I, I think to Sharon's point about the third, 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 it, it, it's just part of the pie of what we do. And, and yeah, you're living, out, you're living out the life you're meant to. Yeah. I just want to say, getting tricked into volunteering, <laughs> in, the, in the army, they're less subtle about tricking you, and we call it just getting voluntold. Yeah. Voluntold. Yeah. Well, as, as dean now of a school of architecture and built environment, I, I get to volunteer a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. things. And it, it's a good role for me. You know, we, we come up with projects in our school, in our practice, uh, in the classroom about doing good and building community. And, 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 and that's what I do in all three of those roles. That's great. Well, as a, a key leader in the AIA and on all this experience, you're, you're involved in academia and you're both obviously inv- involved in education and, and the industry. I'd love for you both to just you know, give us 30 seconds to a minute of any closing inspiration out to our, out to our industry. We've got people listening that are contemplating joining the industry, folks that are you know, interns or, or in school up to senior executives of civic organizations and, and public agencies that are, that are building. So a vast, a vast audience would love for you to impart your wisdom and closing inspiration. You know, we, we talked before about uh, the favorite books from childhood. I can relate every single one of my experiences as a professional architect, designer, educator, back to things I did and love to do in childhood. We've talked about architecture is fun as a business model, as a mantra, 
Uh, architecture is fun, is about getting to do what we want to do and what we believe in on our terms. Uh, it, it truly is our passion and our purpose. And if I have a takeaway from this, it's, wow, I've gotten to do this in my career. I would encourage anybody who's contemplating their career a change in business or in their business model to to do sensible things, but also to do what you believe in and, and what reflects your values. We we've been very very fortunate and privileged to be able to to do this, and we continue to do this. Do not stay in places where you are unhappy, where you're not having fun. Um, do not take clients that aren't going to share your your beliefs and, and and stand up for what's right and what's good. And when something is wrong in the room, stand up and and, and point that out. That's great. Sharon, the lady well, gets the be, last word. Had to be brave with that, but to to find what you love and then try and try and do that. So and have fun and. That's that's what has to be important. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for your leadership in our industry for bringing fun to to this conversation, but certainly to the work. I I really can't thank you enough for your time, and and really appreciate everything that you're doing. Thank, thank you, you very Adrian. much. Hey, everybody! If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open, contact us through our website, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.